As you take a seat, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and go to the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in a few different places in God's Word this morning, but it'll be easy because we'll just be tracking one book to the right, so you won't have to be going all over the place, but we're going to be in a few different texts, but we're, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and uh, as you're turning there, we're, we're continuing our series looking at what does it look like to be the church? If we, we would say we are the church, what, what do we mean by that? What is the church? And I was thinking this week, if, if we only had God's word, if, if you were dropped into Muskoka and, and you had no other church experience, no other church background, never even heard what church was and no other connection to any sort of church movement, it just had the word of God and we had to figure it out from there, what would church look like? That's the whole point of the series we've been in Starting last week, it's this idea of taking a, a chance to step back, especially in this weird time where, where so many things are, are, are stripped away. So many things have changed for us, and we, we come down to really some basics of, okay, what is the deal with church then? If, if, if we took away everything else that we kind of packed around what church is in Canada in our time, and we, we lost some of those things, and we just asked the question, what does the Bible say church is? What would harvest look like? What would our lives look like? As we talk about church, as we, we talk about what it is to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian, there is this unique mix of, of head and heart, of, of an intellectual movement and also an, an emotional heart movement. There, there, there's an experiential encounter as well as a, an intellectual encounter and there, our mind is at work in it. Where you grasp that there was a, a, an historic Jesus that he lived and walked on earth, that he was, he was crucified, put to death on a, on a cross by the Roman Empire, that there were eyewitnesses that, that, that wrote it down, that we have an eyewitness account of what happened, and, and, and you, you believe intellectually in the, the reliability of God's word, that, that here we have God's word for us that gives us what we need for, for, for life and godliness, everything we need to know who God is and, and what he's called us to in the life he's designed for us, but, but there's something deeper than just the purely intellectual. There's also this move in our souls where, where God draws our hearts to, to really see Jesus, where you, where you begin to see this reality that may, maybe you hadn't thought about before, you, you hadn't have wrestled with it before, you hadn't even stopped to think about it before, but then there's this, this moment in your life where God begins to draw your heart and you see, wait a minute, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and that savior is Jesus. God begins to call and work in your heart and, and you start to see differently. You start to see, you would say, I, I started to see more clearly. And there, there's this light switch that goes on in your heart. Theologians would say it's a, an illumination of the spirit of God, but there's this, this light switch that goes on. And, and even though even all your intellectual questions still might not be answered, there's a moment where you say, the deepest question of my heart now has found an answer. My biggest need is addressed. And there's this moment where you go from being dead to being alive. Where, where scripture would say your heart of stone is removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. And, and your, your heart changes, your allegiance changes. Where you now see Jesus as most valuable, most important. So yes, there is an intellectual move for sure. But there's also something happening on a heart and soul level. Where, where the spiritual reality of, the, of the, the presence of the risen Christ is seen and experienced in your life and it changes everything. 
In scripture, you, you see over and over again this phrase that we are in Christ. We're united in Christ. It's Christ's presence in our lives, us in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, says that in Christ, you're a new creation. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now thinking of that as somebody who is in Christ, now how you see the world, how you do life, something's completely changed for us. That's what it is to walk with Christ. Something transforms your heart. Let, let me say it this way. Um, my wife and kids have been reminding me a lot lately because my birthday's coming up that I'm, I'm getting older, right? They let me know that, that you're not young anymore, dad. You're an old man now. And, and, and the other part they remind me is as you get older, dad, you gotta get in shape. You gotta stay active because you're not getting any younger. And, and so I'm like, okay, I'll run. And I'm not consistent at it. I don't like it. I, I have a philosophy. Why run unless I'm being chased? Like I don't get the point, right? And so I've been trying to run more and more, trying to get in shape. And, and I, could, I could probably maybe like in a, I could run a kilometer maybe in seven or eight minutes probably, right? And then the second kilometer, probably half an hour it would take me. And then the third one, fourth, I'm just like puking and crawling. And I'm like, why do I have blood taste in my mouth? Lord, take me home. Like that's kind of where I'm at, right? But, but here's the thing. Just last week, that, that's the speed I run. But just last week, crazy, crazy. I was clocking 120 kilometers an hour and didn't break a sweat. Consistently for two and a half hours. I was in my car, I get that. Like I was driving to the city for sure. But, but here's the thing, all of my weaknesses completely changed as I got into the car, right? So, so what I'm saying, when you think about what is it to be in Christ, there's that same kind of radical shift in who we are where everything changes because of our union with Christ. What's that mean? It means this, when you're struggling with fear or doubt, and you remember, I've been crucified with Christ. That's such good news that, that all the wickedness, all the shame, all the brokenness, all the rebellion in me, it says, has died with Christ. And so when, when my heart or your heart feels the weight of, of shame or fear or temptation or guilt or anxiety, you can rejoice in the fact that, that all of that was nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ. So you could say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the, the life I now live, I can live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the life-changing reality of what it is to be in Christ as a Christ follower. That's what I want to talk about this morning. See, because in God's word, when we talk about the church, we're, we're actually given these, these, these practices to have. Some would call them church ordinances. Some may call them sacraments. Basically, these, these prescribed practices from God's word saying, these are activities I want you to do together as the church. But again, like we said last week, it's not about just you and Jesus. These are things we do together. It's, it's me and you, us, together as we follow Christ. The two ordinances are these. It's the ones we're gonna dive in this morning. It's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I wanna show as we dig into scripture today how God calls us to practice these, what he calls us to do in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. But I, I wanna show you more than just here's the how and the why and the what. I wanna show you what happens, what, what they mean for our lives. How God uses these outward reminders of an inward reality, a change. Listen, that it points us to this union we have with Christ, that we are in Christ. 
where you can see the reality of what this new life in Christ is, this, this, man, I can do things in Christ that I could not do in my sin, on my own, in my flesh. So if you get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, we're going to start there, Acts chapter 2. When you get to Acts chapter two, here, here's what's been going on. Jesus has, had already been nailed to the cross. He, he had already risen from the, the grave. He had appeared to his disciples. He'd given them the mission of, hey, go out into the, the nations with this good news of the gospel. He said, but before you go, wait, because I'm gonna send you my spirit and that, that Christ's presence, the in Christ part. He says, I'm gonna dwell in you. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and, 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 and dwell you. And he said, so wait for that moment. And so it, what's happened is we get to chapter two, this, this group of men and women, the, the leaders of the early church right away in the beginning are praying. The Spirit of God falls on that place. They're filled with the Spirit. They're sent out now on mission, and, and Peter begins to preach this sermon. Look at verse 36 of chapter 2. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's talking about the gospel. He said, I want to tell you all about the cross of Christ and what it means. And, and he lays it all out for them. And look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? If this is the reality, what, what do we do with this? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized. And they were added that day, 3,000 souls. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this, this 3,000 people now forming the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So what we have here, we have here is a, the early church begins. You, you see both baptism and you see them saying breaking of bread. Most biblical scholars would say that refers to the Lord's Supper, most likely. So you see both of these ordinances, sacraments, in the early church. So, so let's unpack them one at a time. Let, let's start with baptism. Baptism. If you're taking notes, our first point, baptism, dead and being raised to new life. That, that's really the picture that's going on. This picture of our death in Christ, being raised in Christ. In fact, here's a definition that I would use for baptism. I didn't make it up. I, I took this from some other smart person, but it says this. Baptism says it's a public demonstration of our initial identification with Christ and his church. So, so catch that definition. It's public. It's, it's not a private thing we do. It's not something you just do yourself by just you and Jesus. No, there's a, a publicness to this, and it's, it's an initial act. But you, you notice here in Acts, it, it was part of the initial call. It says, be saved, repent, and be baptized. Identify with Christ, give your life to Christ, and then be baptized. And, and I love how it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an identification. I'm identifying with Christ. And then they got together as a church, identified with the church as well. You might ask, okay, I get that, saved and baptized. Why, why would I want to get baptized? Why should I get baptized? I would say it starts right here. I mean, there's a commandment, be saved and baptized. But, but we see that Christ himself, as, as our example, he was baptized. 
He was baptized by John the Baptist right away at the beginning of his earthly ministry. But, but you gotta start thinking, wait a minute, I thought baptism was this, this demonstration of how we died to our sin, raised again to new life. Christ had no sin. Can't be a picture of repentance for him. Why would Jesus be baptized as a sinless Man, God the Son. Well, well, in that moment, here's, what, here's what's going on. When Jesus Christ is baptized, he's identifying with you and me. He's pointing forward to the fact that he would take on our sin, die in our place, be raised again. And so, so he, he lays out this example for us to follow, but, but it's not just that Jesus did it, so we wanna follow his example. He commanded us. Matthew 18, he tells his disciples, go to all the nations and teach them everything about what I've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So don't miss this. As you think about what is baptism in the church, baptism is, is an obedience issue for every follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say this, the Bible does not know of any unbaptized Christians in the church. You just don't find it. If you're a follower of Christ, if you have not been baptized, let me say it this way, you're living in disobedience. We get baptized, we're following the example of Christ, we're, we're, we're answering the call of Christ, but also we're, we're being united to Christ and united to each other. I, mean, I love how Paul says it in Ephesians 4, where he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all who's over all, through all, and in all. I love that. There's one baptism, the, the baptism that unites us. So you make this connection of baptism and being united in Christ, being united together. It's, it's, it's our unity. It's our identification, not, not just with Christ, but with each other. In fact, turn to Romans chapter six, just one book over. Flip over to Romans chapter six. We're gonna look just deeper into what this baptism thing's all about. What, what's, what's going on in baptism? Now, as you're turning to Romans chapter six, I wanna be clear here. Baptism, it's commanded by Christ to do. If you're refusing to do it, you're, you're purposely saying to Jesus, yeah, I know you told me to do this, but no, I'm not gonna do it. But, but, but in saying all of that, listen, baptism doesn't save you. We're saved by grace alone. If, if baptism saved you, it's something that you did and that's not grace. It, it's such an important part of your walk with Christ, but and it's, it's one of the first things we're called to do as people who give our lives to Christ. It's the first thing we do in this relationship with him. But listen, it's not necessary to be made right with God. It's, it's not earning salvation. If baptism was something we did to earn our salvation, it completely cuts grace out of the picture if it's, it's not grace if you, if you have to earn it. I love that about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's so unique. It's, it's unique in, to all, all the religions of the world, any philosophy of the world. There, there's this uniqueness of the gospel that says this, salvation's received, not achieved. It's received. It's, it's not achieved. It's not, it's not given to you based on the goodness of who you are, on stuff that you've done. It's not about you at all. We're saved from our sin by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And baptism is this physical celebration of this internal spiritual transformation. So look at Romans chapter six. Here's what's going on. Chapter, chapter six, verse one. Now, now, 
Paul has just laid out this whole grace thing. It's only by grace. It's all by grace. And so he's anticipating what we might say in that. Oh, if it's all by grace, does it matter how we live? Then we can just keep on sinning. And look at verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, okay, if it's all by grace, then like, like, do we just have like this unlimited sin spending account where I just always can tap into grace? I'll just keep going on sinning because I always have grace there. It's unlimited. No, look at verse two. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying, you've died to sin. I, I like that verse there where it says, you've died to it. It doesn't say you're dying to sin. It says you're dead to sin. And think about that. Dead is dead. Like Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies, but, but dead is dead. There is no, oh, he's mostly dead, right? You're dead. Dead is dead. You're either dead or you're not. And so in Christ, he's saying here, in Christ, you are dead to sin. Verse three, it goes on. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you have this baptism as this, this picture, this, this physical reminder of a, a deeper spiritual truth that, that we were joined together with Christ, buried with him, put under the water, that picture, then raised up again, just as we're joined with Christ in his resurrection. So we come up out of the water. That's the picture of baptism. That's why we do, you ever wonder like, well, why do we get this big tank? Why do we go into this water? Why do we go into the lake? What's the whole idea of why are we doing it that way? Because it's a picture of death to life. It's a picture of those who are in Christ. You're buried in death, raised again to new life. And it's for those who are in Christ. It's something only believers do. You may wonder, why don't we baptize babies in our church? That's why, because as a baby, you're not in Christ yet. It's people who have made a decision. I'm following Christ. I'm answering this call of God in my life. And then you read all through Acts, it says the order, saved and baptized. And then we have this celebration in a baptism service, a celebration of the, the reality that Jesus Christ died on our behalf as a substitute for us, taking the wrath of God instead of us for our sin. And then he rose again as our savior. And we celebrate that. And when we're baptized, and listen, if you've been baptized, you remember back to that and say, yeah, that's who I was. That's what happened. That's the truth in my heart. Look at verse five. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. He says, if, if we've been united, that, that word united there, it's, it's a gardening term. It, it means to be grafted in. And I love it here. It's a, in other parts of scripture, it talks about being grafted into a vine. This here is different. It's grafted into the root of Christ. Our lives inserted into the very root of Jesus' life, that, that his death now becomes our death. His life becomes our life. That you, you died in him. You've been raised in him. I love that picture here that, that our plant was dead. Just dead branches, but those dead branches are inserted into the living root of Christ. Now his life is drawn up into us. Do you, do you understand the, the power that God gave you when he put you into Christ? Christianity is not just, a, oh, I'm just turning over a new leaf. 
It's about the power of new life. It's, it's not, well, I'm just looking for inner peace or, or a new purpose for life or, or a get out of hell free card. Listen, yes, is it all those? But listen, to be united with Christ, it means so much more than that. It means this, that when we're united, when we're grafted into the root of Christ, everything that's said about Christ is now said about you. I love that. I mean, think of it this way. It, it's, like, it's like marrying the richest person in the world. You did nothing to, to, to become wealthy, but then when you marry that person, now you're wealthy too. It's all yours legally, right? So, so, so listen, in Christ, you now have Christ's perfect record. You now have the power of the resurrection. There's no brokenness, there's no sin, there's no rebellion, there's no darkness in your heart that the power of the resurrection cannot remove, cannot heal, cannot redeem. I love that. It means this, your relationship with God is no longer determined on the past that you have because you now have Christ's past. And the Father now loves and accepts you and delights in you. And why? Because he sees in you the beauty of Christ, the greatness and the glory of his son. He sees you as, as being free from condemnation for the guilt of your sins. As though, listen, you had died yourself for your sins. That you'd already paid for those sins because you've died in Christ. And, and I love it. Look again at verse five. There's a word in there I just love. We've been united with him in death like this. If we have been, listen, we shall certainly, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. I love that word, certainly. It's not saying, and if you do this, then conditionally this will happen. And if this happens, as long as, you, as, long as you're, you're living a good life, as long as you're coming to church every Sunday, as long as you're taking notes when, when Pastor Kai's preaching, no, it doesn't say that. It says, certainly this is true about you. Certainly, period. I love that. It means you have this in, e eternal connection the moment you believe. You're connected to the past of Christ, the present of Christ. And it says here, you're connected to the future of Christ. So yes, yeah, you die. You die to your old self. You go under the water, but you don't stay under the water. That would make for a very awkward baptismal service. You just, boom, all right, then let's go, right? That would be, that'd be horrible. No, no, you are then raised up. There's a certainty of that. You're raised up. <coughs> raised with Christ. Verse five, if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Love that. We're no longer enslaved to it. We're dead to that sin. This is us getting into the car. My weakness no longer stops me. That's what baptism illustrates. And in Colossians chapter two, it says that when Christ was crucified, that he took our sin and he made a public spectacle of the sin. How? Because he triumphed over our sin and death at the cross. There's a, a publicness to this. So that when we're baptized, we're doing the same. We're, we're publicly proclaiming the glory of Christ in the church. 
mean, this is why I love baptism services. I love celebrating them together because every time someone's baptized, here's what happens. All of us who are followers of Christ, who have to given our lives to Christ in baptism, we remember back that, man, we the same, just as they're demonstrating to us, united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And we get to proclaim to each other that, that, yeah, Jesus has conquered sin and death. I now have new life. I was dead, but now I've been made alive in him. I mean, that's what baptism means. It's this, this celebration of the grace of Christ. It's this, this illustration of the gospel. It's a, a declaration of his glory. I would say this. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning and you have never been baptized, and God's calling you to be baptized. To, to publicly declare, I belong to Jesus. My hope is you would hear it that way, that you wouldn't hear a sermon about baptism if you have never given your life to Christ and, and you've never taken that step of baptism and, I, and you're calling yourself a Christ follower. I wouldn't want you to hear this as a, oh, here's something else I have to do in the church, but that you would see it as, a, as a, this blessing, this, this awesome thing that you could go, wow, I get to identify with Christ publicly. I've heard it described this way. It's, it's a bit like a wedding ring. Think of, think of baptism like a wedding ring where, where a wedding ring is a, a picture to the world. It's a, it's a declaration to everybody that I meet that I would say, I belong to Libby. That, that Libby's ring on her finger, that they would look down at that rock on her finger. Okay, it's a pebble, but whatever, right? It was like a rock and I bought, okay? That's what I thought it was, right? And she has this, way, this ring and that you would look at that and, and it's her declaring that she belongs to me. Listen, listen, the God of the universe has pursued you with this, this passion, a passion that drove his son to die for all your sins and that, that through Christ's death and resurrection, he's forgiven your sin. He's brought you into a relationship with him. He's united your life to himself. And then he's given us baptism together as a church for us to publicly declare that, to say, I belong to Jesus. When you get baptized, you, you celebrate this gift that's been given to you of grace. You, you show that the gospel is the most precious thing than anything else on this planet to you. You proclaim to a watching world that Jesus is God, that he's good, that he brings new life to anyone who trusts in him. So I would say this, if you're a follower of Christ and you have not been baptized yet, reach out. Reach out. Pull up that church center app that Hillary loves so much, right? Pull that thing up. And just in the prayer request part, just put, I wanna learn more about baptism. If you're here this morning and, and, and you don't know Christ, and you're like, well, I haven't taken that first step of, of giving my life to him. I'm still checking this all out. I would say do the same. Reach out. Grab somebody this morning. Reach out to us. Where you get to that place where you start there, God, I'm a sinner. And I can't do anything about it, but, but right now I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting in you and I'm accepting this offer of grace. Taking notes, here's our second point this morning. Let's dive in quickly to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the second ordinance, the second sacrament. And, and, and for this one, there's this picture of, of dying and living new life. So if baptism was I'm dead and raised again, we now get to celebrate that on an ongoing way where baptism is this initial public declaration, communion, the Lord's Supper, it's this ongoing way we celebrate. Here's a definition I'd have for the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration of our continual identification with Christ and his church. It's continual. It's, it's something we, we do ongoing as a church. So, so I would think of it this way. If, if baptism's like the wedding ceremony, 
And the Lord's Supper is like the anniversary celebrations where we renew our vows again. We celebrate it again. In fact, if you're in Romans there, flip over one more book to 1 Corinthians, just one over to the right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're flipping over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, let me catch you up to what the Lord's Supper um, um, looks like. If you were with us months and months ago, we were walking through the book of Exodus, and you might remember we came to that part in Exodus where the children of Israel were about to be set free from slavery in Egypt. And, and God said to them on that one night, he said, listen, listen, you're going to be set free, but tonight the angel of death is coming. It's coming for everyone. So, so, so for you to escape that, he says, every home that takes this lamb kills that lamb, puts the blood of that lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over that house. And so, so for centuries after that, Jewish people would celebrate the Passover, the remembering that event of how death passed over. They were set free. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room on the night he was betrayed, the, the, the day before he goes to the cross and he gets together to celebrate Passover. But he completely changes what Passover is. In that moment, he steps in and says, listen, you've been doing this for generations and generations. You've been looking to this lamb as your rescue in the Passover. But he steps in and says, I am the lamb. I'm now the one. The sacrifice to end all sacrifices. In that moment, Jesus takes the celebration of Passover and gives it to us now as the Lord's Supper. So now as followers of Christ, and, and, and listen, listen, this is for followers of Christ, that celebrating the Lord's Supper, if, if you're just checking out Jesus, then communion, the Lord's Supper, it, it actually isn't for you. Not yet. I would say that as you're looking and seeing and being drawn to this, this new life with Christ, in, in the meantime, you're watching communion. And what you're doing, you're watching the celebration that it's a celebration that's open to you when you give your life to Christ. And so, so as we do, we're gonna take communion this morning. As we do it, if you don't know Christ this morning, my prayer is this, that you would see his kids celebrating grace today. It would open your eyes to the, to the depth of God's love for you. That's the who of the Lord's Supper. What, what about where? Where do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Well, if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll notice that throughout this book and throughout chapter 11, Paul's been using this phrase, when you come together. So, so, so again, the Lord's Supper is not a little, it's me and Jesus doing this alone. It's a, something we do together. It's for all of us together. We, we do it publicly as we gather as the church. And again, like baptism, the Lord's Supper does not save you, all right? It, it's this picture of an of a inward, true reality where, where the bread is a symbol. The cup is a symbol. The, these, these tangible reminders where when Christ said, when he gathered with his disciples, he took the bread, he said, this is my body. Obviously what he's saying, he still had a body. So he's saying, this is what represents my body. So as you do this moving forward, you have these tangible reminders Physical things pointing to a, a deeper reality. And so what we're doing then as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together is this. We're focusing our hearts and our minds. In fact, let, let me give you a few directions that we're gonna focus. We're gonna look, we're gonna look back, first of all. We're gonna look back. Look at chapter 11, verse 23. It says, for for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So Paul's saying, I'm not making this up. This is something Jesus gave to us. He says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what do we do? We look back. He says, remember, remember. Remember that God became man for us. Remember that, that Jesus suffered and died. Remember his body given for us. Remember his blood poured out that covers our sins. We remember the price that Christ paid so that we, we could be forgiven of all our sins. So, so the Lord's Supper, it's not just a, hey, just kind of imagine some things. No, we're actually looking back. We're, we're remembering a real time in history that, that 2,000 years ago, Christ gave a very real body himself. His real blood was shed on our behalf on a cross. And we remember it, listen, with such vividness because it affects us today. So in the Lord's Supper, it's not just a, a quick little routine we go through, but it's a time where we stop and we truly reflect on the cost of this grace that we get for free. We look backwards. We, we also, we look inward and upward. It's in the Lord's Supper, we, we reflect on our sin. We reflect on God's forgiveness. In fact, look at verse 27. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, don't just flippantly take the Lord's Supper. He gives this strong warning. He's like, don't do it in an unworthy manner. Don't do it so carelessly. But you come humbly. You, you reflect on your need for Christ. Now notice what he says. He doesn't say, hey, hey if, if you've got sin in your life, don't bother doing communion. No, he says, no, 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 no. Start here. Come with humility. Examine your lives so you can participate. So what's he saying? You, you come to the Lord's Supper by laying your heart Laying your life, laying your thoughts, laying your hopes, laying your desires, laying your actions, laying your entire life before a holy God. Let's not skip past this. Let's not do this part lightly, but, but honestly reflect. Say, God, would you search my heart? Any area in my life that is not lining up to your holiness, to what you've called me to, that's not honoring to you. We look inward. But here's the beauty when you begin to look inward. You don't just reflect on your sin, you also reflect on God's forgiveness. We look upward. Don't get caught in just, just purely always looking in, looking in, looking in, just seeing my sin, seeing my brokenness, seeing my rebellion, seeing the darkness. No, no, as you do that, it draws your heart to the cross and the forgiveness offered by God. We look upward. And we see that in dying and in bringing these things, saying, Lord, I'm dying to that. Lord, I'm, I'm bringing this again to the cross. We see that we're made alive. That you're reflecting on this sin in the presence of a God who loves you. You're again seeing the cross, the price paid, the, the picture in the Lord's Supper is when you bring this stuff before the Lord, it's Jesus saying, I've covered that. If you start thinking about the things you've done just this past week, or, or maybe for you it was just last night, maybe it was on the drive to church this morning, there's things you're like, man, I need to bring this before the Lord. 
where I've fallen short and the Lord's Supper is Jesus reminding you I've covered it. When you think of all your struggles with sin, if you have something in your past that just continues to linger and Satan loves to bring it up in the Lord's Supper, Jesus reminds you it's forgiven. It's covered. We look inward, we look upward, and lastly, we look forward. We look forward. That we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We do it continually. We do it at the, uh, regularly. Why? Because it's an opportunity to renew our commitment to Christ. Renew, listen, our commitment to each other and to the mission God's called us to. Again, look at chapter 11. Look at verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do this together to what? To remind each other, to proclaim to each other, to point each other to this truth. That, that, that as, yeah, we're living in the reality of sin and brokenness right now, but there is a hope, there's, there's a unity in this where we're celebrating this together, where we're seeing the forgiveness of God through Christ. And because we see it, listen, it changes us. You can't be face to face with a crucified Christ and bringing all your sins, saying, here it is. Here's the things I'm bringing before you that, that I, I need you to take care of. And, and Christ in that moment is like, it's covered, it's forgiven. In that moment, as you're receiving grace and you're celebrating grace, you can't in that moment have bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody else. It's why we do the Lord's Supper together. Again, not just a you and Jesus thing. It's an expression of our unity in Christ where we say, I've been forgiven much, so I forgive much. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity. If there, if there are barriers between you and somebody else in our church, there's this opportunity where, where you say, listen, I'm celebrating grace again this morning in the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna go make that right. So you can celebrate grace together. And then we jump to our feet together to rejoice in that grace. Together, we, we rejoice because we've been set free. We, re, we rejoice because it says here, we're anticipating the day that he's returning. He's coming back. We, we look forward then to the mission he's called us to. We look forward to the day when we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in his physical presence. So in the midst of the, the hurts of your life, in, in the midst of the struggles with sin right now, in, in the sorrow or the pain you may be walking through right now, the, the challenges of our world that are weighing on you, we come to the Lord's Supper to be reminded that one day, one day, one day, all the hurts, all the struggles, all the sorrow, all the pain will be no more. That Jesus is coming back. We do this because we remember that, that, that one day, one day, all the challenges will come to an end, so we rejoice. We rejoice. So listen, with that, with all that leading up to that, uh, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna call the uh, worship team up onto the stage. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Normally I would say we'll have the ushers come forward to hand out. It's COVID, we can't do that. So you've got these, these little packages. Now here's the thing with these things. Be careful as you open them. They're, they're kind of like almost impossible not to spill, but you can do it, all right? You open the top one up, there's the bread on top. It's pretty cool. And then the bottom, you open the next one up and there's the cup underneath. Listen, as you get ready for that, let, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Because we know that communion is this place where, where we celebrate God's grace, we celebrate the forgiveness that he offers us, that, that, that through the cross our sin has been covered 
Let me ask you this. Are there sins this morning that you need to confess? Are there things in your heart right now you need to bring before the Lord? The Lord's Supper is when, when, when secrets are laid bare. Because here's the thing with God. There really are no secrets with God. We, we think we can roll into church and God's like, oh, they're in church. Everything's great. No, no. He knows your heart. So you don't need to hide it any longer. It's, it's rotting you out when you hide it. But instead to lay it bare before the Lord. Are the things you need to confess this morning? Before we partake together, are there, are there things you need to bring before the Lord? Before we partake together, are there relationships that need to be restored? And, and maybe right now, you, you're like, well, I do, but I can't do anything about it. Maybe they're not here. It's just, I can't, that, that right now, that before you and the Lord, you say, Lord, I, I, I bring this to you and I, I release the hurt and the bitterness to you. And God, between me and you, Lord, I extend forgiveness. Maybe there is opportunity even right now. Maybe it's somebody who's beside you. You need to lean over and say, I want to celebrate grace with you today. Are there sins you need to bring before the Lord? Do, do it now. To hear that it's covered. Don't skip past this part. Don't, don't, don't take this in an unworthy manner. Let me ask you a second question as you're wrestling that out with the Lord right now. And it's this, are there places in your heart, in your life where you've put your hope, your allegiance in things other than Christ? Where you would say, I've got the wedding band of baptism, but I'm really not given fully to Christ. Are there things, is, is, there, is there a relationship where your, your heart, your hope, is there, is there hope in a, in a job? Is your hope in something you have? Is your hope in some answer you need God to provide for you? Your hope in your kids is your hope in, what is, I would say this, lay those before the cross today where you would say, Jesus, you're better. You're better. As you grab the bread, it says this in, Verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. cup is this celebration of, of new life. The cup to me is, is, the, is the coming up out of the water in baptism. The cup is a, it says a cup of, of the new covenant. The cup is a celebration that you are new. So the question to ask you right now, are you living as though you're new? Are his promises true for you today? Are you like, I'm living in those promises? Remembering that I've been rescued that I've been restored, that I've been redeemed, that I've been transformed, that I'm new. Are you living in those promises? It says in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's, let's drink together.
Would you stand with me? We're, we're going to end with worship as a way of celebrating. Would you stand with me now? And uh, I'm going to pray for us. So I just say, as you get to your feet, that you would bow your heads and close your eyes and let's respond with celebration. Respond with worship. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for the union you've promised that we could stand here today to say that we would be in Christ that our identity can be found in you I thank you that you've given us new desires you've given us you've empowered us with your spirit to say no to sin you're conforming us that we can rest in your righteousness, knowing that, the, that we have your past, we have your present, we have your future, that, that Father, you, you look at us and see Christ and his perfect righteousness. Thank you for the blessings you poured out on us. Thank you that as we confess, as we repent, that through your sacrifice, you, you welcome us with open arms today. I pray that even now you'd be realigning our hearts and our hopes to be fully placed on you and you alone, that you would, you would grow us in grace together. So Lord God, this morning we stand to celebrate, celebrate new life, life that you've brought us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's sing together.